Last time on Star Trek: The Next Generation. All right, well, we're not going to let's not make this the the Star Trek hour. Let's uh, because we can we can easily. <laughs> All right, everybody, uh, we'd like to welcome you to joining us here in the Bricked Pit, uh, where we talk about a lot of very unserious things in a very serious manner. Uh, the podcast that you didn't know that you didn't need by three guys you didn't know that you needed to hate. Uh, I am Jason, the Heartbreak Kid. As always with me is my ex-wrestling tag team partner, Josh Pock. <laughs> And our manager, Captain Adam Albino. That's right. Glad to be here. <laughs> We're Cindy Lopper today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, this week, our uh, topic is going to be in-universe rules, like how films create, especially genre films, create their own uh, set of rules by which things work. Uh, you know, one of the main things is... If you're in a sci-fi movie with space travel, they have a certain way that they can travel through space, if they can go faster than the speed of light and how they do it. And these are things that help kind of build the world and help immerse you and uh, let you suspend disbelief. But there are times when they kind of set the rules aside just to kind of do something in a quick way and to, uh, to kind of get around a plot point or something like that. And, at times like that, it can kind of jostle you around and kind of take you out of the movie. It can break um, your pits. Yes, it can definitely break your pits. And, and sometimes it's done in a clever way and, and on purpose. And, and then I think other times it's just uh, bad movie making. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the, I think the, the people that kind of does it well is Steven Spielberg. Uh, but I think he kind of pulls you into the movie enough to kind of you don't pay attention to it, but uh, Adam, well, let's start off with you and uh, what movies you'd like to talk about as far as in rule in so, movie rules. Excuse me. So sh the first thing, and, and I mean, I don't think we're going to claim this is like, you know, an epic worthy of discussing too much, but it's an interesting sort of plot point. Um, the, 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 the cartoon Aladdin, the cartoon movie Aladdin, um, the original Disney version, um, as opposed to the remake Disney version. As, as opposed to the remake <laughs> Disney version or the knockoff uh, European non-Disney versions that exist. But, but you do realize that Disney didn't create a land. Of course, yeah. Wait, it, it hold is, up. It in itself is a knockoff. <laughs> of Yes, of an even earlier knockoff. <laughs> so, knockoffs um, within knockoffs. So the rules of the genie, if you if you remember, for those of our listeners who haven't seen it in a while, but I've seen it recently because I have, I have kid and and so it occurred to me and this immediately came to mind. So the rules of the genie state that uh, in order for a wish to count, the master has to actually say the wish. Right. And, and you'll remember the part where Aladdin's at the bottom of the sea. And he's like, he even says it. He's like, I can't fake this one, man. You've got to say it. And then he kind of moves his mouth to make him say the words while he's unconscious to, so that he can escape and save Aladdin's life or whatever. That's great if that's consistently the rule, but then that would have that breaks their own in-universe rule, right? He can't he can't make him say that. And the reason this is a problem, and I think this is what is really cool about this concept, is is 
it's a, in its own way sort of a bricked pit because it takes you out of that moment because your your brain kind of goes wait there's something off about this and for me it was well if he can do that when he's unconscious then he could just wish himself free at any time right he could just knock aladdin out and then put the words in his mouth i wish genie was free and then genie's free right and maybe maybe so- there's a dish deeper issue uh involved. maybe the <laughs> maybe the genie didn't want to be free well, yeah, <laughs> so it's actually a curse at the end of the movie, right? <laughs> no, what have you done, you idiot? <laughs> I had purpose in my life. I have to pay taxes now. <laughs> They're going to find me. That, so that, that, that genie bottle was rent controlled. <laughs> and, you know, genie, genie three wish tropes as a as a thing always have some kind of weird internal inconsistency in the rules and they try and they know that this is going to be a thing right because they're always like well, you can't wish for more right. wishes like uh then, you, then you're not you know you're we're starting off on a bad foot here right. <laughs> Are you? Like, how can i trust that you can give me anything i want if you're already limiting me right like, I, it's, I like, it's like arguing genius. with an insurance company you know? <laughs> that's a great analogy it, it is well it's 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 funny because uh in in, uh, in an old dungeons and dragons game that uh that jason and i were involved in we we spent an entire night uh writing down our wishes that were granted to us by by a genie to make sure that there were no loopholes uh, <laughs> the uh the examples that were given to us in, in the past was like a guy wished for uh for the strength of a titan and so his like strength went up by one point and then like several games later the titan came down from olympus whatever was looking for his point of strength back that was stolen from him uh so like so we're like we got super litigious and like we were writing it down and looking over it and stuff and uh which let's know. be honest if you if you were if genies were a real thing that is totally how they would be right i mean it would be like to make your first wish, you'd have to get a room of like 70 very pedantic lawyers. And <laughs> all right, I think we've got it. You know, <laughs> it take you- I, I just want to say that that was very redundant what you just said. <laughs> so, you know, and, you know, that's the great thing about the, the wish trope is that it's going to create some kind of rule of universes or sorry, universe of rules that is lend gonna- itself to contradiction. Exactly. And I think that's a that's the first really good example. So. Um, the other one I had, which is, I think, uh, immediately came to mind was the prime directive in sort of the Star Trek universe, which man, is that not just like, <laughs> it, it's, it is, it is, pro, it is directive one, right. unless <laughs> we need it not to be right. <laughs> unless it's mildly inconvenient. And I think this also kind of lends itself to a legalistic point of view in that in a lot of ways, the prime directive is a lot like international law or, or particularly what, what's called the law of the sea. And in that it really is a very, very important law that must never be broken, except if it's broken and it's broken by the right people, it's probably totally okay. <laughs> I think that's the, so I, I think the prime directive boils down to, you know, it's like, oh, we can't interfere with these primitive society. But if we decide to, right. there's nothing they can do about it because we're so much more powerful than them. <laughs> that's so, like, <laughs> much like international law, right? I mean, right. Kind of the... <laughs> or the reverse of that is even if we decide not to, they can't do anything about it. Right. 
<laughs> no, well, you don't have warp technology, so uh, what are you gonna do? Come get us. There? <laughs> we're, we're gonna let your son consume your entire system. Y'all later. <laughs> and we're gonna wax philosophic about how we did the right thing while you're burning <laughs> fires of your supernova. <laughs> well, you know they weren't good enough to have engines. <laughs> Well, well they like, view a, an ecological genocide. Right. Well, it's not like, it's like, why is that? Why is like having warp technology that, because if it's stolen, obviously, because the Ferengi, and yeah, so we're, I'm going there to the, to the deep lore of Star Trek. So the six, six people listening are now uh, <laughs> looking for the exit. <laughs> but the Ferengi stole their technology. So to get, so, but, Stole or bought. Kind of, I, 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 I'm talking most of their technology is either swindled. Stolen or bought. How about swindled? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, they didn't develop it themselves. So and the, and they're kind of like, well, I mean, they already got the stuff. And it's do do if it, it's an interesting ethical question <laughs> out, outside the scope of <laughs> this podcast. But what do you do with those un, those tribes that have been like uncontaminated by by modern medicine? It's like or you know modern. Uh, Technologies like they, they may want vaccines, yeah. <laughs> but we can't go talk to them. It's like I, they might be totally okay with not dying at thirty. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's that that island off the coast of India where they, you know, shoot you with an arrow if you step on their land. I'm I'm pretty sure they're okay dying at thirty. <laughs> They'd rather just be left alone. Yes, but they haven't seen Wandavision, so. <laughs> <laughs> They just we just put a big TV up in the air. Oh, okay. <laughs> what what doesn't really make sense to me, and I, and this is you know talking about Star Trek, it's like talking about Tesla. You're just begging for people to hate you, but <laughs> <laughs> but it it never like every time they they encountered a situation where they were going to break it and they knew they were going to break it, they always justified it by some higher means, which means that. It's not really a rule at all. It's just a suggestion. It's a guideline. And it's it's like going on a diet. And what are the real consequences <laughs> to it? Like the, the whole thing is that, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't bring societies forward in their technological development before they're ready. But but that's really like paternalistic and like yeah, it's, it's, decide, it's, right? yeah, it's um <laughs> it gets into some some of the nastier impulses of western civilization <laughs> right we know but we know better than you and and josh uh, your analogy is not too terrible because it, was, it in modern times it'd be the equivalent of like you know encountering a new society that's been cloistered for their entire existence and we accidentally give them smallpox and then refuse to give them the vaccine right. because they're not ready for it you know <laughs> <laughs> This is too advanced. Yeah, your small mind. You know, <laughs> you, I, I think that's one of the that's that's one of the reasons why I like uh, DS Nine, is they take a lot of those concepts and they kind of put them on display like that. It's like you know, it, it, it next gen puts you know the Prime Directive as this this very altruistic concept that oh we're we're doing it for these other civilizations, and DS Nine turns around like you know. You're you're hurting these civilizations by not giving them things to to defend themselves from uh, alien invaders or mm -hmm. to you know fight off these uh, diseases or or whatever simply because they haven't met this arbitrary benchmark. Well, and I think that the like as far as like internal consistency, I think the Prime Directive is a good example of how a film or 
TV series sets something up and then breaks their own rule. Those damn Klingons. That's you know in the original series. That's what you remember that episode where that damn Klingon. I think it was a work. short-lived sitcom. In the 60s. <laughs> yeah. It was a spinoff. <laughs> it was a Roddenberry spinoff. Never saw much airtime. That it was the one where Kirk goes to like uh, an Eden-like place, I mean. He comes back and finds out the Klingons have provided the villagers with rifles. Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's like, a, like a little piece of paradise or something. It's basically yeah. a Vietnam War analogy. Yep. That was like, hey, we need to we need to arm people in Vietnam and escalate this or the, or the Klingons will <laughs> take and over. So what does Kirk do? He decides to give them firearms too, you know, so right, another, right. Great, another great prime directive example. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're not gonna let's not make this the the Star Trek hour. No, so, no, because we can we can easily. Yes, we could. Josh, I believe you want to discuss a Joe Dante film. Do you not? <laughs> well, I wanted the the whole concept of this podcast reminds me of of a franchise that that has very explicit rules, and and there's a, there's a couple of it, it gets kind of meta, you know. In in Gremlins, it's like they. <laughs> They set up, they're like, here are the three rules. These are the three things you can't do. You know, the movie happens because they break the rules. Pretty consistent film. And then Gremlin 2 comes along. And like last week's uh, podcast, it's, you could, Gremlins 2 is kind of a vanity project, but it's more of a like, I hate sequels and no one, and they gave me full authority. So I'm going to just make fun of, the studios and everything I hate about Hollywood. So there's this great scene where, um, and if you haven't seen Gremlins 2, I, I am fully endorse it. I think it is an absolute amazing film. Great like, piece of a, satire. Yes, I, it's a film that I cannot believe was made and is, is so relevant today. Like the, the one of the main characters is essentially Donald Trump. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's, uh, was it, um, John Glover that, that plays Clint. I believe so, yes. Yeah. And he's he's just pitch perfect. Uh it, it's amazing. But anyway, they're in this tower and it's basically Trump Tower, and it's got all this this newfangled gizmos and whatnot that the gremlins can run amok in. And uh and, and Robert Picardo is like in security, who played the doctor on Voyager. So uh was it Zach Zach Gallagher? Not Zach Galifianakis that was in that. Yes. <laughs> Zach Gallagher is the the star of both films. Yes, Zach Galifianakis is a fan of both films, so it's very yeah. easy to get them confused. So he's in there. He's telling you know he's telling them the rules, and immediately Robert Ricardo starts like like pushing back, and he's like, okay, okay. So what if one of these things is on a plane? He's got like a seed in his tooth, and he he crosses a time zone, and then it's midnight, and then the seed dislodges. Is he eating after midnight then? And they're just like kind of having their way with like, you know, thinking of all like kind of lawyering the, the rules of the universe. <laughs> and, uh, and in response, a gremlin just like jumps up out of the console and starts like clawing at him. Like, <laughs> as if to say, how dare you question the rules? It's brilliant. And it, I don't know, there's something there's something to me that interesting where because it doesn't happen in real life. Like people don't ever tell you rules. <laughs> I mean, outside of like being at prison or, or or school or work or just in everyday kind of conversations, like 
So is it Matthew Lillard in, in Scream who like who tells them all the rules? Of I the... believe that's uh, Jamie Kennedy's main for you, but it, yeah, Matthew Lillard and uh, was it Skeet Ulrich? I believe it was. Yeah. And they, they kind of give the rules of, of slasher films and, you know, obviously it mirrors what happens in the film. And what, what's interesting, though, is like because, you know, it was kind of orchestrated like in universe for those rules to apply. <laughs> right. So uh, multi layers going on, but it, I always find it interesting. Like when someone just like kind of stops the film and it's like, okay, <laughs> for those of you taking notes at home, don't be a virgin. It's like, ah, well, <laughs> in the course of this movie, I don't know if that's going to change, but as an audience member, so like uh, in night Shalomon also, I think he, uh, he's pretty good with, uh, with making, making rules for films. Um, and outside of like Lady in the Water, I don't think he's ever like super explicit about what those rules are. And I think you're probably the only other person that I've talked to that agrees with me on this. But I actually enjoyed Lady in the Water. Lady in the Water is so it's, it's very meta, right? Well, like in Night Shyamalan films are not to me they're uh, they're more reminiscent of like Twilight Zone. They're, they're kind of they're not they're more like allegorical in nature. Like like people get get all twisted up about the the aliens and signs but it's like that's not what the movie's about that's the and, framing device right and, and 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 with lady in the water lady in the water is about screenwriting it's a if you watch lady in the water you have a very good idea about the economy of film and um and Chekhov's gun like it's it's almost like taking a a course in film language and and taken like that, it's an excellent film. Trying to take it as anything else is like, well, you know, what the hell am I? Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people <laughs> understand the tone of the film. I think they <laughs> kind of look back more at his, his more serious stuff. Uh, the Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, uh, Signs. This is very much a tongue-in-cheek film, though. There, There's a lot yeah. of comedy that I don't think people really grasp. I don't well, think they... I- that from in in the biggest bit of comedy is casting himself as like the basically the writer of the new bible yeah that (laughs) that one was yeah that that's that's his bad decision in that film yes i mean if he could act in the least bit it would have been okay but you know this isn't like billy bob thornton directing no M. Night this is Alfred. This is Alfred Hitchcock directing. Yes, <laughs> there's Alfred. a reason why he only let the bus door slam in his face. He didn't do yeah, his his cameo in Signs was like that was pressing the limits of how much he should in, intrude in his own film. Yes, he's like, oh yeah, I locked it I in the that. cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're pretty calm about that, man. <laughs> yeah, it definitely his pinnacle of acting is in Unbreakable when he. When Samuel L. Jackson kicks him out of his shop, <laughs> want to buy a comic book. How dare this you. is art? I think M. Knight watched all the Tarantino movies to learn how to act from Tarantino. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's doing it. Why can't I? <laughs> One of uh, Josh and my favorite jokes uh, from Mr. Show, a brilliant sketch comedy show from the 90s. Uh, they did this thing called Imminent Death Syndrome. Which people are dying, they don't know why, but and it allows people to like do things that they normally wouldn't be able to do because people feel bad for them. And he <laughs> talks about the celebrities that have imminent death syndrome. It's Quentin Tarantino, the actor, not the director. 
Yeah, good stuff. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Shalomon has, has but I think we see a lot of time travel is probably the big kind of movie that has rules and that and that are often broken. Um, when you think that because it's because they always have there's always that scene where they're like, well, why can't I go back in time and do this? It's like, all right, so we got we got to figure out what theory of time travel we're working. Well, with and, and that that actually kind of segs into to one of my movies, uh, and it's one of those that most people, like I, I mentioned earlier, most people just don't understand it because it's a fun movie, and it it's it helps kind of cover that up. But it's one of those things that I noticed. And it kind of ruined the the franchise for me, and that's uh, in Back to the Future Part Two, because the You're about the through to line, cardinal sin, yeah, <laughs> the, the very foundation of the entire series is the causality version of time travel. Uh, you know, the very first movie, he goes back in time, he winds up destroying that moment that his parents first met. And so he was going to blink out of existence unless he, got him, unless he got him back together. And then when he goes back to his own timeline, he's in this new future created from all the things he did in the past. His, his father is now successful instead of still being bullied by you know, Biff. And uh, you know his, his siblings are also successful and popular. And that's, once again, they do that again. That's the concept of the third movie. The whole gorge is named the Eastwood Gorge instead of the, the teacher who fell in it, the original timeline. And what makes me really angry is in the second movie, right after they break the rule, they explain the rule to you. <laughs> because it is the underpinning, once again, of the entire unit of the plot. It creates a huge plot hole. They broke it because well, with explain, a chalkboard, hold on, with a chalkboard, Doc Brown explains, because the whole concept of the second one is they go into the future. Marty buys the almanac with uh, all the sports mm. winnings from 50 to what 2000 or something like that. And so he plans to take that back and bet and make money. And Doc chastises him for it. You can't change the past. You can't do that. Throws it away. Old Biff finds it, steals the DeLorean, goes back, gives it to young Biff comes back, they get back in the DeLorean, go back to 1985, and it's all changed. It's Biff owns a casino, and he's used that money from the, the Almanac to turn Hill Valley into just a desolate, dystopian place. Potterville. Yeah. It's a wonderful life, essentially what it is. Doc Brown takes the chalkboard after Marty asks him, why can't we go back to the future and stop Biff from stealing the Almanac? So, well, we can't go to that future because we've created this new timeline. And so this is the timeline we're on now. That timeline doesn't exist. We have to go back into the past to stop that. If, if that's the way it works, if when you change the past and you go back to the future, you go back into the new future that you created, how does Biff return the DeLorean? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> because in, in all timelines, Doc Brown creates the time machine. But still, Biff would go back to the future that he created. The 2015 he would return to would be the 2015 of Biff owning the casino. So, so I think the, the, the question is more, how are Marty and Doc in that future? Because they would have been in an alternate timeline that didn't exist anymore. Right. 
But what? No, is once again, how does Biff return the car to them for them to get back to 1985? Because that doesn't exist. Biff can't return to that future. It's it's once again they circumvent the rules of the universe in order to be able to tell the story the way they want to do it. But it's it's a huge plot hole now in the middle of the entire franchise. And and I'll, I'll have to say probably. People won't agree with me on this one either, but I didn't like Back to the Future 3 either. I, if, if we're being honest, I didn't really like 3 either. Kind of. It's one of those because they, I'll give them credit because they did both movies at the same time. So they like set up stuff like with him playing right. the, the video game for, oh, this is how he knows how to shoot a gun. Right. But it's just when after the end of Back to the Future 2 with that cliffhanger and then they show like the, oh, the next movie is coming and this is what's going to be in it. I was like, Huh. I do approve of Elizabeth Shue, though. Didn't she become the girlfriend in the second and third one? Yes, yes, because the the original yeah. actress did not return. Yes, and and neither did uh, Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover, yeah. But Crispin, yeah, uh, Crispin Glover was in another movie. And just a little side note on this: they used the prosthetics uh, prosthetics from the first movie, the uh, the cast of his face, to make the fill-in actor looked like him and he sued the studio for using his likeness without his uh, permission and won. Yeah, kind of, kind, of a land, kind of a landmark case and like yeah. more more with with deep fakes and stuff like that like today is pretty relevant. Um, so kudos Crispin Glover, you weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> you lovable weirdo. Like, I, I'm not going to pretend like you're not weird. <laughs> but you were right. <laughs> Two things can be true at once. But yeah, like I said, that's 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 kind of a bricked pit for me for Back to the Future too. <laughs> they break their own rules, and I'm kind of like a you know you had mentioned a, a couple of podcasts back before that uh, Josh that you're okay if if a movie kind of you know hand waves anything if they just and, and I'm kind of like that as far as you know if you establish this rule set for this film universe and you stick to it, then then I'm with you. You know, I'll, I'll kind of let you go in little crazy little corners if you kind of set the foundation for it. Uh, and I think a really good example of this is the 2002 movie Equilibrium, uh, starring uh, Christian Bale, uh, Tay Diggs, and uh, Sean Bean, who, of course, by law, uh, is killed in the early part of the film. How did uh, Tay was- Diggs end up <laughs> like? Or I guess it, Tay, Tay Diggs probably it was, it was, deserved it was early to be in 2000s. that film. Yeah. Right. How did Christian Bale and Sean Bean end up in that film? Is the- well, once again, this is before Christian Bale had uh, really become established. At, at that point, he was basically uh, a newsy. Uh, Equilibrium is a movie that it's a science fiction film, dystopian future. It's There's nothing really too groundbreaking and it, it's a, it's pretty paint by numbers, you know, uh, Fahrenheit 451 ripoff with, with you know, guns. shades. Well, yeah, with, with shades of uh, Brave New World and, uh, of course, 1984. But the, the main thing about it is it's done through the lens of a Hong Kong gun food movie. And uh, they have this concept. The uh, Instead of the firemen, they have, I believe it's the... Grammaton clerics, uh, which is Christian Bale and, and Sean Bean's uh, characters, they go out and destroy all the art and all the books and everything that make people feel because feelings are terrible and 
destroy societies. They're not wrong. But anyway. No, no. <laughs> if you want to join if, us later. If you're uh, listening to this morning. podcast, you're probably to rift the feelings as well. <laughs> <laughs> we have numbed you. But uh, yeah, like I said, the the main thing, because these these clerics are supposed to be just, you know, they're it. They're the top guys. And they have this uh, essentially a martial art that's called the gun kata. And it is pretty ridiculous. But the no karate, but I know crazy. <laughs> but that, they actually explain it within the film that it's like it's this scientific uh distilling down of like the main or the more statistically possible ways for you to like point your gun and shoot that you would most likely hit something as well as where you can position your body and most likely dodge being hit makes no sense in context if you put that in the real world but for a movie i'll follow it sure because i mean they they show they show people like practicing it constantly in the background and everything so they they establish it and they make the foundation and it looks cool on film because that's the main thing about film is how it look cool. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, like I said, they they use it constantly. Uh, it's big part of the main battle at the end. It's a rule that, as crazy as it is, they never break. They never, you know, move off that mark for it. And I, I support stuff like that. If you give me a rule and you stick to it, I'm going to go with you on it. And and as a side note, the the gun kata is not to be confused with the gun cotter, which was Gabe Kaplan's uh, short-lived series that was based on Death Wish. Oh, welcome back, Cotter, man. (laughs) You just strung together a bunch of references that no one's going to (laughs) get. That's that's a, that's a train. We should have <laughs> we should have made that a contest for reference. listeners. If you can write in and tell us what that meant, we'll say your name <laughs> on air. <laughs> no one that knows what that meant would want their name said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody here watched TBS when they were sick. <laughs> watched you watched Alice. Welcome back, Carter. <laughs> Gilligan's Island. Andy it's... Griffith show. No, I didn't care for that. I don't like police dramas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like murder of the week shows. <laughs> a lawman without a gun, that's a brick pit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where were we at? <laughs> and so yeah, I just finished Gun Cotta. So. Okay. All right. Not to be confused with Jim Kata, which is a hybrid of gymnastics and martial arts for one movie. And I don't even think it really worked very well in that film. Dude, I like buried that deep. (laughs) 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 That was one of those things that was like, it was like, what was that arena? Was that the one where the guy was like, it was basically like robot jocks, but with aliens. Yeah, (laughs) it was like terrible, but it was on HBO. So, like, we were naive. That's like, well, if HBO plays it, it's obviously quality. Well, (laughs) as I have said before, if you grew up a sci-fi fan in the '80s, you you pretty much took whatever you could get, (laughs) because you know, for for every ET, there's ten Mac and (laughs) Me's. Oh, I think we just kind of killed ourselves with the back. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, uh, Adam, do you want to do the uh, the email? 
And now, the conclusion. So, uh, we appreciate all of our listener comments that come in, and uh, we were always glad to, to have them. If you have something that you'd like to share with us, send us an email to brickedpit at gmail.com, or you can go to our anchor.fm page and record a voicemail for us, and uh, we'd love to hear those on the air because they make great audio. And uh, that's it for us, everybody. Thank you for thank you for listening. Say goodbye, Data. Goodbye, Data. <laughs>